Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And then, and then it was eerily quiet. And then my mind was kind of like, you know, the head in the fishbowl. Then it takes me into the bathroom and says, this is how you brush your teeth. Brush, rinse, repeat, brush, rinse, repeat, brush, rinse, repeat. But there were two girls. And it was like, you'll have to give us a ride. You can't fill us, though. He can't refuse us. He'll let us in his car. Thoughts were all alone in this empty void. Well, guys, we continue. We continue our time traveling escapades. Oh, crap. Yeah. It's I'm getting confused. It's, it's still got, going. You have your little time traveler's notebook, which makes I me have feel better. I have my chart. Because we know. Yes. Yeah, we know yes. where we've been, where we're going. Yes. So here, here's time. Time is relative, my friend. So we're recording this on May the 8th. But no one will actually hear this until probably around the 22nd or 23rd. Somewhere around that that date. So, yeah, this is in the past as is. Well, you're not going to be able to hear anything because we're not playing anything at the moment. Uh, but we do have a we do have a guest in the studio tonight and we will have someone joining us in, in as a co-host later on. But uh say hello Trace. Hey guys. Trace is my roommate everybody. Treat him well. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rob, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. It's uh It's good to be here relaxing in the studio with you on a it's a Monday night, which is strange for us. Yeah, it is strange for us. But, yeah, I ended up having I ended up going uh with my stepson who's visiting from the Navy. You know, he's stationed in Japan, so he's only here for about two weeks. So we went over to uh see my mom and dad down in Chattanooga and uh which is kinda like a second family to him. So we ended up doing that last night and so I had to kinda cancel the Saturday the Sunday night thing and we're doing like a couple of Monday night shows. 
but we'll be back to Sunday here in a couple of weeks. And I think we're doing a couple, like we're doing some Friday, we're doing a Friday night and we're doing a Wednesday night. So it's like a lot yeah. of weird stuff right now. Things are getting, going to get wacky over the next couple of months, but yeah. Well, what it is, you know, trying to fit everybody in for that, trying to get everybody in that's on this conference that's happening in Roswell, trying to get all the guests that are going to be there. So we've kind of had to try to rearrange a little bit of things to kind of let them come in and be part of it. Like guy, I don't think he can make it on like only on, on Fridays. Right. So that's going to be a few shows from now anyway, but, but, but it'll all be worthwhile because then we're going to get the, the onsite at the conference interviews. We'll have a bunch of shows from that for everybody. Yep. It's going to be good. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to talk about something and I actually have, some clips, Ooh. which we haven't done in a while. I, don't, I couldn't even think of the last time we actually did clips. Might have been the Catch Me Outside Girl. Yeah, it probably was the Catch Me Outside Girl. Or did we play the? Did we play the clip for? And then we played the clip for the other girl that was on um, Doctor Phil that was talking about. Oh, her, that's right. The, yeah, being <laughs> sex trafficked. Yep. You know, and all that, and we talked about that. I think so. I think it's it's been it's been a good couple of months since we've had some clips. So let's play this clip, and we will kind of talk about it. This was kind of making the rounds of the paranormal, both like podcasts and blogs, and I just entitled this clip "Slow News Day." It is a picture that has everyone talking. Is it just a little kid lost in the woods, or is it something supernatural? Take a close look at this. What do you see? I think it's a ghost. Why do you say that? Because look at her. Yes, I know this makes good radio. A spirit. I think it's just a little girl playing in the woods. I don't think it's a ghost. I don't know. It's kind of hard to believe whatever you see on social media nowadays. Taken by a trail cam in the woods off of Route 74 in Cambridge, this picture has the whole town talking. Chief George Bell has never seen anything like it. I've lived here all my life, number one. Never heard of such a thing. Never heard of a... Uh a ghost running around the woods. New landowners just bought this chunk of woods, hoping to use it as a hunting area. But according to Chief, they set up the camera to make sure general population didn't go through them. And then they saw this picture. Chief Bell confirms it is real, and the landowners simply wanted to inform the girl's family. The idea originally was just to identify who the child was. Now it's been only a few weeks, and still, no one has come forward. Imaginations are soaring. Scared of ghosts? Uh, <laughs> I guess I, I would be scared of ghosts. Man, I don't know, there's some creepy stuff in this town. Even skeptics want answers. There has to be an explanation. I just hope they come forward soon to clear it up. I would say that there's no way that it's a ghost, but I mean, that's like that's the kind of stuff I go, that's not a ghost, but then I go, now, Cambridge police tell me they are still trying to identify the girl in that picture. So if you know anything, ghost or not, you're asked to contact them. Reporting in Cambridge, Andrew Banus, News 10, ABC. So, Rob. Yes. I showed you the picture. And to describe the picture real quick, it just shows this kind of like ghostly white figure of a girl that's obviously from trail cam footage. So I showed you the picture. 
Yes. What did you think of the picture? Do you think it's proof that ghosts do indeed exist, that the spirits of the dead haunt the living? While I believe that it is quite possible that ghosts are scattered all about haunting us, I don't think this is proof. And I'll give you a handful of reasons why. There's probably more. First of all, she's dressed in completely modern clothing. Uh Uh-huh. So, I mean, she would have to be recently deceased. Okay. Which would be easy to track down if someone that age had recently died in that area. Sure. Um, There's nothing translucent or ghostly about her. She seems to fit perfectly into the environment like a real solid figure. Um, She's laughing and posed just the way that a kid jumping around in the woods would be. I mean, there's a little bit of blurriness from, obviously, some motion stuff. All right. Um, yeah, and nothing really that stands out and says says ghosts. I'm glad there's a little bit of backstory in there because I wanted to ask, like, is this a place where you would, there's, like, no reason to ever find a child, but apparently it's a small town, and, I mean, I grew up in a small town. That's all you, that's all there is to do. Yeah. You go play in the woods and run around and, yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, it could be. You never know. (laughs) It could be a ghost. It could be. Of course, there's a reason why I entitled that clip Slow News Day. (laughs) But we'll read a little bit of something about this. Um, Ghost picture, in quotation marks, of young girl in the woods has upstate New York town buzzing about the paranormal. And now locals are wondering... Is the youngster a present-day person or a ghost from the past? Recent past. I think it's a ghost. It's definitely a spirit. I think it's just a little girl playing in the woods. I don't think it's a ghost. I don't know. It's kind of hard to believe whatever you see on social media nowadays. (laughs) No, really? Those are are the words of residents of Cambridge, a picturesque town of just over 2,000, about 40 miles northwest of the state capital, Albany, according to local TV station WTEN, which is the one we played the clip from. The camera positioned near Route 74 in the town was set up by new landowners who want to hunt in the area to make sure that people were not crossing the land and would be in danger, Cambridge Police Chief George Bell told the station. Bell, who says he believes the image is real and not the product of countryside shenanigans, says he is mystified. I've lived here all my life, and I've never heard of a ghost running around the woods, he said, mystified. He told WTEN that the landowners who saw the image several weeks ago have become more and more anxious to identify the girl and contact her family. According to local news website NewYorkUpstate.com, residents say there is a legend about a girl who was hit and killed on train tracks that used to run through the area. There you go. Uh-huh, it might see. be. It could be. It well, could be. I, I do. I, I do want to say that it's interesting that they've put this photo out there and nobody has been like, "Oh yeah, that's my kid." Meanwhile, the picture has attracted the attention <laughs> of local paranormal enthusiasts. We like to look at the actual footage from the actual camera it came from. Tanya Woodward, president of the paranormal research team in neighboring Greenwich, told WTEN, there's a lot of historical places in the area, and we do pick up a lot of stuff from that. Woodward told the station that the image on its own doesn't doesn't enough 
Okay, there's a word missing there. Carry enough information for her to interpret. Trail cams don't take the best pictures. It's tough, said Woodward, who would like permission to visit the property with her team to determine if there is any possible paranormal activity. The landowner has requested privacy, Bell said. What neighborhood kids are around? Do they have kids? What time of day it was set up? Where, where, where was it set up? Woodward told WTEN. Can we look through it to see what's going, going on and do some research on the area? Meanwhile, Bell told the NewYorkUpstate.com that a man had called and said, oh, hold on, I can't read that part. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, I first saw this on MysteriousUniverse.com, and then I saw Coast to Coast post about it, and then I saw it everywhere all over the internet, the mysterious ghost girl, this weird picture that looks like the ghost of this girl going through the woods. It's kind of a creepy picture, right? Don't you think so? A little bit. this This got picked up by a lot of the major media. And everybody is you know, people on 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 the internet and on Facebook were saying, "Oh man, this is this this may be definitive proof. This is a, this is a, might be a real life apparition." However, play clip two. It's a ghostly photo that's had small-town police chief George Bell fielding phone calls from national media outlets. His email has been flooded with messages from psychics and mediums. To me, it is a spirit, and I do believe that she's just playing like she was the day she died. But Bell says this image, taken from a field camera in a property in Washington County, is no ghost. It's gone too far. This is, this is not a ghost. This is an actual girl that was wandering probably with her grandfather through the woods. And how does he know for sure? He says the case cracker came in the form of a phone call from the little girl's grandfather. So who is it? Uh, I I don't want to give her name yet until they verify it, but it's a local businessman. But word gets around in a small town, and we now know that the grandfather is Chick Wilson. I'm Chick Wilson. The well-known owner of Willard Mountain Ski Resort in Greenwich, seen here in one of their promotional videos. Some people really were thinking that this was a, a ghost story, and they got really excited about it. Do you feel kind of bad now telling them, hey, there's... There's no ghost here. It's just me and my granddaughter. <laughs> I, I actually do. <laughs> you do? I, I, you know, it would be wonderful to have proof of, of life after death, but it, unfortunately, we're not going to get any proof from this particular photograph. <laughs> How shocking. <clears throat> my favorite part is, um, <laughs> my, fa- my favorite part of the whole thing was, I don't want to give any names out, and the news station's like, but we do. This is Chick Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> well, they didn't give the name of the kid, which I guess was the point, right? Yeah. Because that is kind of protected under law. So the part that I did not read over here was Bell. Meanwhile, Bell told the New York com that a man had called and said that the girl is his granddaughter who was visiting from out of state and had walked on a path through the property. And Bell said that his apartment has received other calls about the photo, but that there are no solid leads, adding that anyone with information about the girl should contact his office. Of course, that's old news. So it ended up being just a girl walking with her granddad that just got caught by the trail cam, which really should have been anybody's first (laughs) idea about what happened. (laughs) Not that it's a ghost. (laughs) But you notice how the media... 
really hopped on the fact that this could be a ghost. So nothing's going on in this small town in New York State. And they're like, oh man, we got a story here. Let's go ask all these people in our town what they think it is. Is it a ghost or are we haunted? Just, yeah. Well, there there still is that legend of the girl that got hit by the train. There is. So... And there's probably somebody out there right now. This isn't proof that there's not a ghost, Adam. That's true. But there's probably somebody right out there right now that this is all a conspiracy to cover this up. And this little girl is coming forward and saying that, no, it's not a ghost. And they want to cover it up because they don't want the, they don't want the, the attention onto this town that there is possibly a ghost. And they want to leave the ghost alone. And maybe there's like a religious cult involved. Or something like that. Yeah. I mean, you never know what what <laughs> this could be. I'm sure someone will find out and tell us the truth behind this matter. And there actually is an interview online from like Inside Edition where they talk to the little girl and she's doing the same exact pose. And she's saying, yeah, it was me walking through the woods. Really? <laughs> I guess my point on this is... Can we not just jump the damn gun all the time? <laughs> we all want. Honestly, can we not just sit there and say, oh, it's a ghost and just do this sensationalist media journalistic crap? Uh, it just, come on, people. Honestly. <laughs> just honestly. <laughs> uh, this This story just, when I first saw it, I was like, that's just a person in the woods. That was my initial thought. Right. And it just, it just, it just blew up all across the internet. And then when they found out not, it didn't take them too long. It only took them a couple of days to find out that it was a girl walking through the woods and they have the girl and everything. So yeah, just wanted to talk about that. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. Maybe there will be proof of the. Uh, maybe there will be true true proof of the afterlife. Because we and would I'm, all love that. We really would. Oh, and I'm not. You know, I believe in it. I believe in the supernatural. Obviously, otherwise, I wouldn't do this show. But just like we need a little bit more discernment out there. <laughs> but it does. But but the media really doesn't help. Right. They really don't. And I think some of the, at least some of the um, ghost hunters that I saw that were talking about this. They were being a little more like, well, we need to wait and see. So that's good. But there were some people that were like, this is it. This is the definitive proof. So, yeah. Well, tonight we have on Michael Hughes, which, by the way, I really screwed up in the last couple of shows by saying we had Nick Redfern coming on. You know, we've done <laughs> so much time traveling that it's starting to get really confusing. It's hard. So we have Michael Hughes coming on. And are we going to go back in time and tag on that we're idiots on one of those shows? No, I think we'll just let it ride. I don't want to mess with the past too much. Okay, yeah, it might be a good idea. And we're not Time Lords. We're not Micah Hanks. Yeah, yeah, that's true. We might encounter our past or future selves, and there might be a rip in space time. I mean, we're kind of amateurs at this. (laughs) We might need Micah to step in for us because he is the doctor. Uh, Rob, tell everybody where they can hear uh, our Patreon-only episodes, which we just did one not too long ago. We did. We may, did or may not have already heard. We did a great one, which 
will probably be released way before this, so you should go check it out. Uh, it's at patreon.com slash conspiranormal, and there's different tiers you can help support the show. Uh, we got t-shirts, we got uh, bonus episodes, which a lot of people are really into, and you know, access to the forums there and other little little bonuses, so go check it out. Absolutely. And guys, we're going to talk to Michael Hughes, we're going to talk about the occult, we're going to talk about tarot, we're going to talk about mentalism, and also... No, Trace is giving me some devil horns over here. And also, we're going to have our friend Heather join us via Skype, since she is an expert in tarot herself, and I figured she would enjoy this. And we're also going to talk about uh, binding Trump, because Mike is the originator of the movement by various occultists and witches to bind the president, so he doesn't do wicked, evil things. So this would be, I think, an interesting show. But we're waiting for we're waiting to hear from him. And guys, we'll be right back on Conspiracy Normal. What if I were to tell you that the forms are not the facts? And what if I were to ask you the shape of water? Water is in a state of constant flow and flux, a paradox of weakness and strength. My name is Aaron David, and I am host of Charm the Water, a weekly podcast centering on the occult and mysticism based in Asheville, North Carolina. You can find us at charmthewater.com or iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, your favorite pod feeder. Come holler. Hey guys, we're back on Conspiranormal, and of course we have Mr. Rob here, man in the ones and the twos. Hello, hello. Hello, Rob. Hello. And we have the guest, and we also have a guest co-host. Say hello to everyone, Heather. You've been on the show before. Hello to everyone. You are via Skype tonight. That's right. At home with the little one. Actually, making dinner for everyone—a really late dinner as we speak. <laughs> oh, this is multitasking, multitasking, man. That's right. That's what a mom is. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. You need like three or four, f- three or four arms, like Shiva, right? Absolutely. <laughs> you might. You, I've never seen him, but you might. Uh, and we have Michael Hughes on the line, and Mike. I have now completed the entire. Well, I guess except for Rojan now, people people keep getting added in. But the main people that are involved with Where Did the Road Go, I've now completed it. I'm it's extremely happy. Done. You got me. <laughs> I got you. You got us all. <laughs> <laughs> I had the pleasure of uh, being on an occult roundtable with you and Soraya and Aaron David on, uh, gosh, when was this? Back in March, I believe. Yeah, and we, so. we did uh, something about the occult. And I, I really, I mean, I'd heard you on the show before. And once I got on that show, I was like, I'd always been to get you on, but I was like, I want to get him on. I was like, I wasn't really sure what we would talk about because there's so many things that you talk about. Oh, man. Yeah. But uh, I think what I want to start with is your background and how you kind of got involved studying the occult and all these different aspects and we'll kind of go into detail on some of this stuff, but I kind of want to start. I think that's a good enough place to start. 
Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, where to start? I mean, um, you know, I I grew up in the '70s, so it was the you know the in search of era, chariots of the gods, um, you know, Kolchak, the Night Stalker. Yeah. I was I was just you know I grew up immersed in the occult, in the in the weird, the paranormal, the uncanny, and I can't remember it. I can't remember existing and being conscious without really being drawn to to that sort of thing. Um, I think part of that might have been that I, I had some some relatively odd experiences as a kid. I used to see lights in my room. Um, I had uh, I had episodes of sleep, not sleep paralysis, but sort of waking paralysis, where I would kind of. Just I'd, I'd see lights in my room, and then I would go unconscious and just fall on the floor. And uh, and you know, so there was I, I was always I always felt like I was just kind of wrapped in the strange and the supernatural. The stuff I read as a little kid was books about monsters, and uh, you know, every time I'd go to a bookstore, I'd pick up books on ghosts or UFOs or ESP, that sort of thing. And there was plenty of that stuff around. You know, mass market paperbacks were where the, the, that kind of material was published. So uh, you know, it's it's always been a part of me. And even as a kid, I was there was a cemetery near my house um, from the you know, mid to actually early to mid uh, 19th century cemetery. So I would go back and check out, just hang out in this this little graveyard in the woods. You know, it was like a five minute walk from my house. So you know, I was a weird kid, um, and and all. All this stuff I just absorbed, you know. I was just soaking in, in the, the the general vibe of the '70s, which was, you know, really, really deep in the paranormal, the occult, you know, witchcraft, all that stuff. It was if it was anything like that, I picked it up. And also, what was helpful was that my my dad used to read a lot of books on UFOs and ghosts. Hmm. And so he'd leave his books lying around, and I'd pick them up and and devour them. And I remember um, one of his coworkers hosted a showing of a 16 millimeter film. I don't know how he got his hands on it, a 16 millimeter version of Chariots of the Gods that this coworker of my dad showed at his house. You know, so it was like five or six of us sitting around in folding chairs. You know, watching uh, <laughs> watching Chariots of the Gods on a on a screen in this guy's living room. So you know, I. I I, I was just, it's who I am. I mean, this stuff is just in my DNA pretty much. Uh, yeah, that's, um, uh, wow. <laughs> Growing up with it. Yeah. I think I did too, in many ways, you know, kind of grew up with, you know, in search of, and even though it was kind of like way past, I was, that was way past my time, but I can mm-hmm. remember seeing, all that stuff. And I remember getting into the ancient aliens thing really hard. You mm-hmm. know, what did you think of stuff like chariots of the gods? I mean, what, what do you think of that, yeah, of that kind well, of idea, the ancient alien stuff? Yeah, it's, you know, I, I have a lot of conflicting feelings about it. I, I, I remember, I mean, I was, I was a D I was a Von Daniken groupie pretty much, you know, any of his books that came out, I grabbed them and, 
um, you know, I just loved it, the stuff. I was firmly convinced that, you know, the pyramids were built by aliens and, you know, all, all, all that stuff. And then I remember a really pivotal moment. I was watching, I think it was um, an episode of Nova, the PBS science show. And it was kind of a debunking of Chariots of the Gods. I was watching it with my dad. And the the feeling of the two of us sitting in there, you know, was probably the equivalent of someone, um, you know, who who believes in creationism or something, and all of a sudden they're they're confronted with the reality of evolution and that creationism is kind of a silly story. I mean, we were both just kind of gobsmacked by the show because there were there were indisputable things sh- shown in that program, like. They showed an, an, a picture that Von Daniken had used, and he, you know his question was, "Is this an alien landing strip?" And in the book, you know, you look at the photo and you go, oh, "Of course, there's, what else could that be but an alien landing strip?" But then in that episode of Nova, <laughs> um, they show the the exact framed image of the his alleged alien landing strip, and a foot comes down into it, like you know, a human foot wearing a shoe. And it's the size of that entire landing strip. And I just remember at that point, like something snapped in me. And I'm like, I didn't want to believe it. But that's when sort of a level of skepticism kind of, you know, reared reared its head within me. Yeah. And uh, so I was really disabused of Von Daniken. And then later I found out, you know, how, how much of a fraud he was in a lot of ways. You know, had been convicted of fraud. Um, so... You know that there was a period where I was I was really disillusioned. You know, I wanted to believe this stuff, and then I actually went and saw the um, the uh, sarcophagus lid of Pakal that Von Daniken shows. You know, it looks like a guy sitting at a control. Right. Board. Right. Yeah. Right, right. It's, it's, a, it's from a it's from inside a Mayan temple at Palenque, and I was in Palenque, and I went down and looked at this, and you know, I'm like, damn, that really does look like a guy at a, at a you know the the controls of a spaceship. But I had also read enough Mayan history to know that all of those all of those pieces that made up that thing that looked like a spaceship, you know, control panel, actually were very much explained in Mayan religious iconography. So, yeah, I, I, I now, but I'll have to say this. I am not completely, you know, I don't completely reject the idea that at some point in human history, there may have been contact with extraterrestrials or, um, you know, I certainly believe there's a possibility of, of directed panspermia, the fact that, you know, life could have been seeded through the universe by um, by some sort of of you know intelligent race or something like that out there, and spe- some other species. That all seems very possible. And uh, but I think the the general idea of ancient aliens that they you know they built the pyramids and things like this. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of the, the commonly understood um, you know idea of that's that's in the media, you know, the ancient aliens TV show and things like that. I mean, they 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 do a good job of pointing out anomalies, um, and I think that's fantastic. And some of these anomalies are hard to explain. 
whether or not it was through the direct intervention of, you know, physical extraterrestrials, whether it's something like, you know, I just got finished a conversation with Gordon White, um, as he posits in his book, Starships, that maybe the contact was more of a spiritual nature, more of an extra dimensional nature, and that maybe, you know, that's how information and technology is transferred rather than like physical ships landing on the planet and, you know, going out and teaching people how to, you know, levitate blocks to, to build a pyramid, that sort of thing. So, you know, I, I don't reject it outright. I think it's, I think, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Oh, okay. I, I couldn't tell if the microphone went off a little bit there. But I think, you know, rejecting ideas like that outright is is just as silly as embracing them, you know, in their very literal sense. Yeah, I always love the whole landing strip thing and the um the whole the Mayan in the uh, on the stale, on the uh, sarcophagus lid with the controls and it was always and Sitchin did this as well where I was like supposedly we have this advanced extraterrestrial uh civilization but they're still using technology from the 1960s you know, we need like they need landing strips somehow. You know, I always right, found, I always right. found that funny, and uh, but then also to to come to your point about um, Gordon White, I think Graham Hancock as well kind of espouses mm-hmm. those views about mm-hmm. that this was maybe something that we communicated with through. Well, in his case, I think like you know, hallucinogens and like ayahuasca, those type of things. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. he's very much into that as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly possible, you know, like like the Nazca lines. I mean, that's that's fascinating. Oh, yeah. I, I, know, I know people have tried to explain it by, oh, well, you know, maybe we had some sort of you know hot air balloon technology or something like that. But that's you know that that's there's no there's no real evidence for that. Um, so I'm you know the idea that maybe these you know there were kind of spiritual flights out of body experiences where people could you know you know, be, you know, in, in some other, in, you know, somehow above the land where they could see and direct these, these images that you can't tell what they are from the ground, or maybe they knew how they were sketching them out from the ground by some sort of grid or something like that. But the idea that they're visible only from above the ground is really fascinating. And I don't think there's a really solid explanation for that. Um, so, so yeah, I, I mean, there, there's a lot of really anomalous stuff you know, that's thrown in the giant bag of ancient aliens that, you know, may have absolutely nothing to do with, with, you know, guys in spaceships coming down. Weird synchronicity time. This is actually the second time tonight. NASCAR lines have come up in conversation. <laughs> we just talked to Greg Bishop for a Patreon only. And we talked a little bit of the NASCAR lines too. So that's oh, strange. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hey, these things happen. Yeah, absolutely. It's all in the zeitgeist, right? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about mentalism. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, you are you are a mentalist. Now, first of all, what is a mentalist? Yeah, what does a mentalist I mean, do? Sure, sure. Well, that that developed um, that that developed in my childhood too. I was lucky enough. I mean, I I live near a public library, so I'd get on my bicycle and you know pedal to the library. My other kids were playing baseball or whatever. You know, I'd kind of hunker down in the library and find the weirdest books I could find, and I found one called The Handbook of Mental Magic. And to say I was transfixed by this book, I think I must have gotten it out of the library, like you know dozens of times at, at least 
Um, and it was a book. It was it's so mentalism is essentially magic, um, i.e., you know, tricks. But mentalism is tricks that simulate psychic abilities. So it could be anything from telepathy, um, from making predictions, uh, to psychokinesis, to making something move or bending a spoon. Um, hypnosis sometimes falls under mentalism. Uh, you know, really anything that kind of looks psychic, but is produced by, you know, trickery. Um, that that's that's what mentalism is. So it's simulating psychic abilities. But since I already believed in psychic stuff, this to me was like an exploration of how to do it. And um, it, it really comes in handy. And I think anyone who studies the paranormal should at least have a, a basic understanding of mentalism because then you're not going to be, you're not so easily tricked. And I've seen, you know, professional parapsychologists uh, who have fallen for things. I, I won't name any names. Um, you know, I just don't don't think that's fair to them. But there, there are, you know, people who investigate this stuff that if they had taken a mentalist with them, I think it would have been, a, they would have come to far different con conclusions. And, you know, there's that, that, that old sort of canard that, um, you know, that scientists are the most easily fooled by magicians, but but there's an element of truth to that, because a scientist is thinking along a particular way of of how something is accomplished, whereas the magician is coming in from a completely different angle. And some of the, um, I'll give you an example um, that that was really really opened my mind. I did a performance, a mentalism performance for a bunch of Fortians at a conference. So there were about 30 people in this room. And I, I did this effect where I had three people. Um, I asked the first person, I said, I said, think of a name of someone you grew up with um, that I wouldn't know, just the first name. They wrote it. I was on the other side of the room. They stuck it in an envelope. And the second person wrote the name of their pet. The third person thought of you know, like a three-digit number, something like that, and they all stuck them in the envelopes. And I collected the envelopes from them, all in view of everyone, and went up and wrote a prediction on um, a whiteboard that they couldn't see. I kept it turned around, so I asked the first person. I said, um, "Okay, well, who is the name of your friend?" And um, I said, "Don't just don't tell me yet. Just think about it." And I opened the envelope and I showed them, you know, Bob. Let's say. And then I turned around the whiteboard, and I had written the word Bob on the whiteboard. So this is this is kind of a classic mentalist effect. And I explained to the group, I said, you know, I'm doing this to show you how you can be tricked how, by something that looks absolutely impossible. And that's why it's important to understand magic, especially if you're trying to investigate claims of the paranormal. Um, afterward, several people came up to me and they said, that wasn't a trick. I said, no, that was that was a trick. You know, I'm not going to tell you how I did it, but it was most mm. definitely a trick. No, that wasn't a trick. There's no way that could have been a trick. So they were, in spite of me telling them that I was tricking them, they were insisting that I was actually psychic, <laughs> that I was lying and saying that I had tricked them. So it was a real eye-opener for me about the, you know, and I'm no James Randi. 
you know, I I despise the magicians who insist that there's nothing to psi phenomena. I think that's that's absurd. They're arguing against a lot of data, um, but but it just sh- it it illustrated to me that the, you know the desire to believe people will insist even when you're telling them you're tricking them that that it's real. Um, so you know when I when I see certain you know, parapsychologists or investigators go into a situation where there could be trickery involved, and they have no no one like me or or, or someone who understands how this stuff can be done. Um, it 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 really makes me sad because I think you need you need to understand that people can be tricky. You know, people can be liars and hoaxers, and you need to rule that out. So that's why they. Now the other thing, the other thing about mentalism is, and it's different from magic, is you'll find a lot of mental professional mentalists when you talk to them, they believe in, in psi phenomena, mm-hmm. a lot of times because they've experienced it on stage. Either they've screwed up what they're doing, and they have to sort of make a guess, um, or they just find that, and and this is really fascinating to me. They find that the more you imitate psychic ability, the more it actually happens. That is fascinating, and 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 also, what you mostly hear about from of mentalists, as you say, most mentalists actually do believe in it. Uh, most that we hear, as someone that is not very familiar with the topic. I mean, you hear about James Randi, Amazing Creskin, mm-hmm. those guys, and most of those guys are really debunkers. Yeah. Well, Kreskin plays it for, you know, Kreskin generally played it for real, um, to some extent. Um, however, Randy, you know, those guys, those guys tend to be more magicians. It's interesting. Like, you know, kind of sleight of hand magicians tend to, and they've really got, or like Penn and Teller, you know, the, the same thing. I mean, they're just out to crush, um, you know, any idea that psi phenomena exists, but they don't talk about the data. You know, they, they just, and it's, it's a fallacy, I think, for someone to say, well, just because we can, we can fake it mm-hmm. means it's all fake. And, and that's just silly. I mean, that's a, that's a logical screw up. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. So mentalism has its limits. Which was the question I was going to ask you about. Mm-hmm. How far does mentalism take us to where we actually are experiencing the real thing? Yeah, well, well, that's that's why I like mentalism. It's really slippery. You know, when you get into if you if you allow hypnosis to fall under uh, mentalism, which many mentalists do, um, that's you know that's getting as close to real magic as I think you know we can demonstrably show on a stage or, you know, in a group setting, something like that. Um, you know, hypnosis is, um, is incredibly fascinating. It's, it's magic, you know, um, there are ideas of how it works, but it's, it's magic. I mean, the fact that you can make someone believe there's something in front of them that's not there or make someone or, or make them believe that something that's there is not there or something that's not there is there or make them you know, believe they're a different person. It's it's astounding. Um, hypnosis 
And that's one of the things that freaked me out too. I taught myself self-hypnosis okay. as a kid because it was on that, you know, in that section of books I love to read. And uh, I did, I, I hypnotized myself through, you know, suggestion and, and suggested that my, my right arm was going to lift off the floor. And when my right arm started lifting off the floor without me feeling like I was controlling it at all, you know, that was another, you know, that was that was another you know explosion in my brain that kind of changed the way the way I am. And, and there's another um, there's another kind of effect in mentalism that comes really close to magic too, and it's called muscle reading. And the way it works is um, I could have someone hide like a quarter in a room while while I'm out of the room, and I could come and and you know ask you or Heather to stand with me. And um, as long as you knew where that quarter was in the room, I could just gently touch your hand um, or your arm and move around the room and keep that contact. I'd tell you, just stay in contact with me as I move around the room. And I could locate the quarter. And the first time I do it, it it blew my mind because I had never tried it before. And Mm. it worked. Um, And that's really close to real magic, too. Uh, So... Meant and and again, there there are there are, there are some mentalists who also believe in in psi phenomena. There was a um, guy named Ormond McGill, who really was a, a hero of mine, and he, he wrote a book. He was you know he he had he he would do hypnotism, but he would also um, do psychic sort of experiments with hypnotism. And so there's you know among mentalists, it's it's really kind of squishy. You know, whereas people think of th- people think of magicians as these hardcore skeptics, they're not all that way. And when it comes to mentalists, they're definitely not all that way. Yeah, that's what you see portrayed in the media mostly of the time, though. Like, like Amazing Randy. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, Chris Angel is another one that says mm-hmm. everything that he does isn't magic, or that he's out there to disprove um, to disprove psychic ability. Essentially, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just like just like Randy does, amazing Randy yeah. does. It's it's a it's a good shtick and and it works for them, uh, but I think it's fundamentally dishonest. Yeah, I I, I saw something um, that was fascinating on the the old Kreskin TV show that he had in the seventies, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he was he had uh, J. Allen Hynek on. Okay. Okay. A famous mm-hmm. UFO researcher. Yeah, yeah. And sure. he he was he was he actually got everybody out in the field, and he had these people convinced. Somehow he did something where he snapped his fingers at a certain point and did some. He he pre-hypnotized them mm, to, to okay. see a mm-hmm. UFO, and mm-hmm. then he snapped his fingers or gave some kind of code word, and all of a sudden everybody started seeing the UFO that wasn't there. And then mm, he snapped okay. his finger again, and everybody just kind of went back to normal. Uh-huh, so okay. I, I I don't know how much of that may it could have been a setup, or do you think that mm-hmm. that is something that is entirely possible to do? Yeah, well, the thing is, you can never trust what a magician is telling you. Um, uh, you know, I guess okay. I should I guess I should go without saying. Like, there's a there's a great mentalist um, named Darren Brown, um, a British. Uh, mentalist. He's, he's fantastic. I used to correspond with him uh, a long time ago, and then he, he just became a superstar. And uh, he, so he frames the, all the stuff he does as 
as like psychological manipulation um, when actually that's a lie. You know, he's doing, mm-hmm. he's doing tricks that are old school mentalism tricks, but he's framing it as he's like a master, you know, he's a master of mental manipulation. You know, he's just making you think that you saw this, or he's making you think that he made you write down that particular shape or that particular number when really that's a lie too. So you really have to be careful. Like I can think of ways that Kreskin could have accomplished that, you know, things as simple as the way they filmed it um, to, you know, just changing uh, what, you know, sort of the narrative of what happened against what really happened in that instance. So I, you know, I always tell people like, you know, take everything a magician says with a grain of salt because that they're trying to trick you, you know. Um, so maybe they're not telling you exactly how that particular trick was set up. You know, maybe that's maybe that's not honest too. Sure. But I remember that. That's yeah. That that's a really cool, um, really interesting incident. Uh, Kreskin Kreskin was a great performer and a a really smart guy. Do you think that mentalism is used in commercial propaganda? Uh, not necessarily as far as the tricks, the, the actual tricks that are, that are being done, but certainly psychological manipulation. I mean, you know, Madison Avenue, um, you know, advertisers spend a boatload of money trying to learn how to get you to like, you know, one, one, one flavor of fizzy brown water over the other flavor (laughs) of fizzy brown water to the point where you, you know, you'll argue about which is better. So yeah, I mean the, the techniques of, of persuasion and magic can, can be very close, I think at times. And it's certainly, it's a magic in its own right. The creation of logos, you know, kind of parallels, the idea of sigils and magic. Uh, there's definitely a lot of overlap for sure. Sure. Heather, there's, are there any questions that you have about, about this? Um, gosh, where to even start? I, I actually have never heard of mentalism and <laughs> really? so I've, you know, I've got my notes here, so I've, I've scribbled it down to look into that. And a couple of the things that he's talked about, I'm, I'm really interested in. Um, I, yeah, I wouldn't even know where to start. I, I guess I, I do have a question about like kind of your background. Mm-hmm. Um, I was wondering, did you have any pushback from family? Like when you started to get into any of these ideas, like any family who was like, you know, you need to stay away from that stuff. It's demonic. Or like, can you talk to that a little bit? Sure. Sure. Well, I was lucky in that my dad, um, although he was like a really strict Catholic, I mean, we went to church every Sunday, no matter what, um, you know, Christmas morning, they pull me away from my toys and throw me in the car and, you know, drag me to, to mass, um, which I, I was never happy about, you know, <laughs> as any kid would, would not be happy with that. But, um, you know, although he was very strict in his religious beliefs, um, you know, like I said, he was reading all these books on UFOs and ghosts and and Bigfoot and, you know, haunt, hauntings and stuff like that. So, um, and my mom was, was fine with it. 
Um, now, interestingly, some of my some of my relatives would say things like, "You're gonna that kid's gonna be warped if you let him read that stuff." To which my mom always said, "Well, he's reading, you know. I mean, you <laughs> right. know, your your son's planted on his butt watching, you know, the umpteenth Brady bunch. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe that maybe that could warp somebody too. Um, but you know, thankfully, no. I mean, I think I think as opposed to you know." Um, like a lot of sort of more evangelical, you know, Protestant variations of Christianity. Catholics tend to be kind of weird um, when it comes <laughs> when it comes to magical stuff. I mean, because you've got you know the you know a sliver of a bone from a saint in the altar, you know, and uh, you know you're you're changing you know wine and bread into you know blood and flesh mm-hmm. and things like that. So so you know Catholicism, I think, tends to um, you know, tends to be open to a little more weirdness than, you know, people come from really mainstream, like, you know, Protestant, um, you know, more evangelical, more fundamental. There's, you know, those people get a lot of pushback to, you know, my, my parents are like, eh, you know, he's let let him read his weird stuff. And, you know, my dad, my dad was physically handing me these books, you know, like, oh, here's Frank (laughs) Edwards book on flying saucers, you know, check this out. So, uh, luckily I grew up in a pretty open, uh, pretty open environment and, Thankfully, you know, I, I I love that my parents were were like that and didn't try to, you know, push me away. I mean, I had a Ouija board, um, you know, I was I was doing stuff with pendulums. I did a I did a science project on pyramid power <laughs> when I was in uh, junior high school, and uh, what I'll never forget about that. I mean, I was blown away by the results. You know, I I built my own little frame pyramid. And I would put, you know, put like a, a piece of food in, you know, sitting inside the pyramid and one right next to it. And the piece inside would dry out. And the piece outside would kind of mold and rot. Hmm. I did it with a, a glass of milk. And I, that's to this day, I still have an aversion to drinking milk because I opened up. I, I had like some plastic wrap on top of the little cup of milk inside the pyramid. I opened it up and it had formed a curd and it didn't stink. It had a real neutral smell. This after days of not being refrigerated. And then I went and opened, sure. I took the plastic off the the cup of milk that was sitting outside and next to the pyramid and, ga- and really gagged, like almost, you know, hurled my lunch because it smells so bad. <laughs> to, to this day, to this day, I don't, I, like, I can't drink milk. Like, even the thought of it right now is making my toes curl. Uh, <laughs> wow. So, so they were, they were, they were like, cool, you know, do a, Dude, you know, my they they drove me to this place that sold pyramids, and I bought a book on pyramids and and all this kind of stuff. So I guess that's one of the benefits of of being a weird kid in the, in the '70s is is there were lots of outlets, um, and I, I and it didn't seem that strange in the overall culture um, that that I would be dabbling in all, all this odd stuff. So so are your are your children? Also, kind of interested in this stuff, or are they just kind of like, yeah, we're, we don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, my 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 youngest daughter, um, you know, I think she's kind of psychically attuned. Um, she she used to have these really powerful sort of mythological dreams. You know, when she was uh, God, she was like four years old. She would she would wake up from a dream and say, um, you know, Mercury. Uh, came to visit me, and I was riding a bicycle, and he was like flying above me. And I'm thinking, hmm. where in the hell? You know, we never talked about Mercury. You know, it wasn't so. So, so she would come up 
you know, she'd have these dreams that for a kid that young were just like so deep mythological and such, you know, in- intense content that you wouldn't think a kid would even have had contact with. So um, my oldest daughter thinks it's kind of, you know, I, I also think kids tend to think what their parents do is just just normal, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I did this like Trump spell thing and and uh and that that was all over the news it was just normal we'll, we'll get like, to like, that we'll get to yeah. that oh yeah i, I want to hear about that i don't want to get too far <laughs> ahead right but, <laughs> but the, i guess the point is that you know they just think this is the stuff dad does you know i have this little right. you know i've got i've got statues of mercury and you know um and you know so this this monkey made out of wood and you know it's kind of in an altar sort of set up and things like that they don't think anything about it you know it's just like it's like someone else's dvd collection or something you know it's just what dad, <laughs> it's just what dad does now whether or not you know whether or not they'll rebel and and you know and you know kind of you know tell their friends i'm a total whack job that that could certainly happen you know cuz kids tend to do that sort of thing but but for yeah. now for now, it's just like, eh, that's what dad does. <laughs> you don't have any of your, your kids, friends, parents calling and cursing you out or anything like that? <laughs> well, you know, I think it's a matter of I live in a city on the East Coast, and it's, you know, it's it's a very, you know, just socially liberal kind of environment. You know, my, my, my kid, you know, my daughter's best, my oldest daughter's best friend has two moms, and that, that doesn't raise an eyebrow, you know. Um, no, you know, I, I think it's, were I living somewhere else, you know, maybe a more rural, uh, you know, place. Hey, I hear a kid laughing right now. Yeah, uh, that's, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it might be different, but no one, no one blinks an eye, you know? I, I mean, when you live in it, like I live in Baltimore, no one talks about religion or spirituality, you know, it's just kind of, you know, it's just, no one discusses those things. You know, it's kind of do whatever you want to do. Um, now, you know, maybe if one of the parents came and saw, you know, some of my books, they might think, you know, eh, maybe maybe we shouldn't let our kids hang out too often over here. <laughs> but, you know, but, but you know, they know I'm a nice guy. I, you know, I, I, I don't walk around in a black robe, you know, with a censor, you know, and chanting in latin or anything like that so, so you know i think it's they're they're pretty cool with with, with it, that's cool so far at least well that's a good segue into talking about uh the occult and what your personal practices are i mean like what kind of what kind of occultist would you consider yourself yeah i i you know i I think anyone who starts, you know, working magic, working in the occult realms, um, you tend to change, you tend to grow like, like anything. Um, and it was a very individualized path for me. I've always kind of gravitated toward the idea of magic, even as a kid. Um, it it just felt like that's where I was, you know, like I, I felt like, and I still believe that, the universe is a really magical place. Um, and although I wanted to be a scientist when I was a kid, an astronaut and that sort of thing, um, I was I, I was always drawn to more the more esoteric things. I think I'm kind of a mystic at heart. Even as a kid, I felt like a strong connection to something, you know. And growing up Catholic, it was God and Jesus and everything. And then as my, 
you know, as my you know, understanding of different cultures and beliefs and things grew, uh, it, you know, it, 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 it wasn't so focused in a particular realm. And then I discovered magic, you know, real traditional sort of magic, I guess, when I was in my late twenties. Um, I'd always done tarot though. So tarot has a real magical vibe to it. And so I've always sort of dabbled in divination and synchronicity was a real, was a real big thing in my life. Like I really felt like that things were happening for a reason and that there were, it felt like some force was moving pieces behind the scenes sometimes. Um, but, but then I got into uh traditional like golden, uh, well, I guess first I started messing around with witchcraft and uh, and got into like traditional Wicca. Made a lot of sense. I was always a very I was very you know attuned to the environment and um, you know cared very much about the spoliation of the environment and things like that. So so the idea of an earth centered religion kind of worked real real well for me for a while. But then I started reading about the history of Wicca and witchcraft, and I realized that, like, traditional Wicca was really was kind of made up right, um, right. in the 20th century. And, you know, that was a little bit like my Chariots of the Gods foot coming down on the landing pad, uh, <laughs> awakening. Um, and I thought, really? You know, wow, I've, I've been reading all this stuff that said it goes back, and the goddess moon cult into antiquity, and damn, you know, there go some other illusions kind of, you know, shot. Um, so so I, I, then I started just kind of looking for at what magic was in a larger sense throughout different traditions like shamanism. I was really fascinated by shamanism, still am, and theogens, you know, the idea that plants have spirits and things like that. And then I did kind of an about-face and went really sort of ceremonial magic, Golden Dawn-style Kabbalistic uh, magic for a long time. And I was deep in that, man. I mean, I was – and then I had another one of my foot-on-the-landing-strip moments when I realized that, well – you know, a lot of this stuff was kind of made up too. And not that there's anything wrong with made up stuff, but I felt like at that point I was getting so deep into Kabbalistic, at least the Christian, you know, version of Jewish Kabbalah. And it was just so complicated. And I was trying to fit my tarot practice into the Golden Dawn's ideas of how magic worked. And mm-hmm. and I realized it was all just this giant sucking hole um, that was just pulling me deeper and deeper and just giving me headaches as I was trying to figure out what corresponded with what and whether, you know, this deckhand represented this particular card. And, and I realized, you know what, I don't need all this stuff. So how liberating. Like, yeah. Yeah. It was really liberating because I, I, you know, I felt like I needed to just immerse myself in this super complex system and it's a fascinating system and it's a workable system. But then, you know, after that that eureka moment, I said, you know what? There's, I'm going to look for magic that works, and that was about the time chaos magic started developing online, and you know, I started working with sigils and thought forms and all that kind of stuff. And the the chaos magic idea that you just take what works and you use it, and you discard what doesn't work, and you don't have to make excuses why something doesn't work, that that really appealed to me, and that's kind of guided my magical workings ever since. Um, 
but also base my magic a lot in history. Like I work with a lot of the the ancient magical texts, like the Greek magical papyri, and um, I like folk magic a lot. I I love hoodoo. Um, that grew out of the mix of African diaspora religions and Christianity. Um, I, 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 I just love different traditions, and I love, you know, not trying to co-op traditions. You know, I'm not like a Yoruba uh, priest or anything. You know, I'm not a hoodoo, um, you know, master. But, but, but I think it's okay to just pick little pieces from different traditions and try them out and see where they fit with other traditions. So I define myself as an eclectic magician. And, oh, I'm so uh, glad you said that. I actually right, I have a question right. about that. <laughs> uh, you know, cause recently I've, I've been doing a little bit more studying about bone throwing, <clears throat> but I do know that um, I'm a white girl. So yeah. that's not really part of my tradition. Yeah. And um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm white. Okay. So um, it, while it's interesting to me, I didn't want to feel like I was um, co-opting, you know, another tradition and twisting it to suit my needs. But I mean, but I'm really drawn to this. So, I mean, I have started, you know, collecting some of my own little um, pieces, curios to to form a little um, package for myself to start working with. But I feel kind of conflicted about it. So it's it's actually kind of refreshing to hear you say that, you know, kind of, I guess that's part of chaos magic, I guess, well, is well, that... Well, well, magic has always drawn from other traditions, you know. I think that the difference is you're not saying you are a, you know, you're a, you're not saying I'm a practitioner of, you know, um, Ifa or something, you know. Yeah, I mean, so I think it's perfectly okay to work with elements of a different tradition as long as you're aware that you're doing that, and you're not out, you're not out writing books, you know, as if you are the master bone thrower from <laughs> from this African tradition when you're, you know, you're you're white like me and you grew up and you know, in the U.S. and you, you know, you're certainly not part of a lineage or anything like that. So as long as you're not making that claim. I mean, why not? You know, just just work with it, with with the uh, you know with the understanding that, you know, let's say you get into uh, Vodun or something, and um, or or Palo Mayambe or something, you know, some tradition where you're working with particular spirits uh, or Santeria. You, you mm-hmm. don't want, you know, you want to be aware if you're going into a tradition like that, that if you start, if you start messing with one of the gods, that that can get you into some trouble, you know. Um, you have to be aware that these traditions are real and they're living and that the spirits associated with them, you know, might not take too kindly if you're just kind of trivially, you know, asking them to come visit and do things for you and that sort of thing without following, you know, the the proper elements of the tradition. So, but if you're just working with a divination system or something like that, or if you're trying a type of magic or a type of ritual, I think that's fine. As long as you go into it, understanding the tradition, understanding also that you're, um, that you're not, you know, a priest or priestess or follower of the tradition, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. that that you're, that you're just experimenting because, you know, magic is all about borrowing. All culture is about borrowing. As long as it's done consciously and you're not doing it in an exploitive matter, I think you're totally fine. That sounds great. Have you ever done bone throwing yourself? I have not. Uh, the, I mean, I, I got my first deck of tarot cards when I was 11, so I've been really – Oh, wow. Uh, that, that's, that's really my thing. Um, I teach tarot. 
I do professional readings. Um, I, I read for myself. I, 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 tarot is part of my, my magical practice. Um, but, uh, but I love the I Ching. I worked with that for a long time. I think any divination system can 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 give you good results uh, because divination to me is just um, the arranging of random elements uh, consciously with a question in mind or a goal in mind. So it can be as simple, you know. I um, a friend told me once, and I loved it, is that you know you don't even need tarot cards. You could just take you know, 22 pieces of paper and write a number, you know, one through 22 on them and do the reading like that. So, um, and divination in the ancient times could be as simple as watching a bird, you know, how a bird flies, which direction, um, you know, things like that. So, no, I, I, you know, I, I've, I've, I've done all sorts of divination, but I keep coming back to tarot. That's like, that's what works for me. That's how I get the best results. I found it endlessly fascinating and mm-hmm. you know, not just that the history as well as you know the 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 use as a divinatory tool. Here's where I wanted to get you. Why I wanted to get you guys, you guys together, because Heather is I. Well, I look at her as an expert in tarot. She's oh god, no, not an expert at all. She's definitely <laughs> been well. You've been just about the only person that's read my tarot several times. So, but uh, you know, Heather, was anything that you specifically wanted to ask Mike about tarot because? This guy knows um, it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I I've been working with tarot for uh, for a little bit of time myself, a, a mm-hmm. hot minute as they say around here. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I uh, I have um, very little understanding of astrology personally. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I can read mm-hmm. what they say in books about uh, astrological influences on different cards or whatever, but mm-hmm. I still haven't been able to make any of that click for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it, what do you say about astrological influences and what what kind of advice would you give someone like myself who's trying to learn more about studying astrology as it pertains to tarot? Yeah, I, I think they're two different subjects. I don't think there's any real linkage. The linkage no, it's was not me. It's, it's, no, it's, 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 it's definitely not, not you. And that's why when I when I like I I, I teach like a day long tarot intensive class um, through Johns Hopkins University, and I always start with the history because I think if you don't know the history, you're, you're going to believe things like oh this card is you know. Is a lot, you know, is associated with uh, Jupiter, you know, or something like that. The tarot developed as a game. Okay, it was a game mm-hmm. people played. It was a card game. People bet money, and in this game, and that's what it was. Like it didn't come out of ancient Egypt. Um, it's not. It had nothing to do with the Kabbalah. Um, it had nothing to do with astrology, except for the fact that there's a moon card, a sun card, things like that. Um, it, it's what happened is a bunch of occultists, and Freemasons, um, in the basically in the 18th century, tried to smush everything together. Um, they they were kind of the precursors of the Golden Dawn. Then the Golden Dawn really really took every every subject in Western esotericism's toolkit, astrology, alchemy, um, scrying, psychic ability, meditation, all this, and jammed it into a system. And to this day, that's why people believe that this card is represented by this 
element of the zodiac or the decans and things like that, and you read that in books, I'd say, look, if you're working with the tarot, work with the tarot, okay? It mm -hmm. is enough unto itself. Entire magical systems have arisen from the cards and just the cards. You don't need astrology. You don't need to to associate the Hebrew alphabet and the Kabbalah, the tree of life and all that stuff. If you want to do that, that's great. And a lot of people do that. I was, like I said, I was deeply immersed in that, in that style of magic, um, that style of occultism, but you definitely don't need it. And if someone says this card is associated with, you know, mercury, you could say, well, you know, in your system, that's, that's great. I don't go by that system. Mm -hmm. And I think it's it's ahistorical to go by that kind of system because it was just a game. It was a game with some really powerful pictures, and the cards have always been used um, for things beyond the game. But any anyone who says that that the cards are, you know, that grew out of astrology or that there's some ironclad astrological association. They're talking nonsense. That's great. I love. <laughs> that's the first time I've ever heard anyone say that who works yeah, with that's tarot. Because, that's because people don't know their history, and if you you, that's why I teach the history. It's the first thing I teach in my tarot classes, mm -hmm. and it's funny. I at the beginning of class, I I say okay, I say here's. I'm going to give this unfortunately away because it's one of my favorite things about the class. But um, I say okay, here's what here's how I learned. Here's what I learned about the history of tarot, and I go into the fact that it came from ancient Egypt. It's associated with the Kabbalah, um, that there are astrological correspondences, alchemical, that, you know, and I go through this whole rigmarole, and everyone's scribbling down in their notebooks, you know, like page after page, and then I show a slide, I go, and everything I've just told you. Is 100% BS. And they all go, oh, God, you're kidding me. I just wrote all this stuff down. But I think it's important because there, awesome. there's so much nonsense out there that that people believe, and and it leads people to confusion, like you're having right now. Like, oh my god, I, how am I going to be a good reader if I don't understand the astrological associations with these cards? And it's nonsense. It can work. I'm not saying it can't work. And if you like right, that right. thing, that's great. But it's not based on history. It's it's based on you know what a what a bunch of French uh, Freemasons and occultists, and then the English guys who you know took their material and made it even more complicated. That's, so, that's where it came from. So now I have to ask, what are your opinions on Crowley? <laughs> oh yeah, old Uncle Al, the great beast. It's Crowley because it rhymes it's with Crowley. Crowley. It does rhyme with yes, um, Crowley. You know, where's I think the sound a bite, Rob? Sorry. I know, right? I should have told you to prep it. <laughs> Uh, that's yeah. He, you know, it's only uh, been I, two or three shows since it's, it's he's come up, so it's was <laughs> well, bound you know, to happen. Any discussion of magic, you know, Uncle Al pops pops his head. <laughs> Uncle <in>. Al, <laughs> so uh, crackpot, drug addict, or genius, or all of the above. Sergeant all Pepper, the above. yeah. I mean, he was uh, <laughs> he was an, a brilliant magician. Um, it, uh, you know, an incredible person. An incredibly flawed person, you know. I mean, one thing that always stuck in my crawl was, you know, his treatment of the women in his life. You know, yeah. which he'd leave on the side of the road like a, you know, like a Burger King bag or all something. All the scar, all the scarlet uh, women. 
Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I mean, a, a brilliant but flawed guy. I, I think his books are required reading for occultists, just see, again, so you know the history and you know where a lot of things uh, came from. He did a great job trying to integrate Eastern magic with Western magic. A brilliant guy. Um, I'm not a Thelemite. I, I I know lots of Thelemites. They're they're great folks. I love his his uh, his his deck. I love the Thoth deck that he and Lady Frida Harris did. It's really evocative. It's really workable. But when I read it, I don't read it as a Thelemite. You know, I'm not reading in all his, all of his the religious ideas of Thelema. I'm just using it as a really evocative deck. Um, one of one of the only modern decks that I use. I, I really lean towards the the older uh, pre twentieth century decks. Oh, do do you have like a favorite deck that you go to more more often than others? Yeah, I'm a big fan of the Marseille Tarot. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they sort of the first ones are in like the early seventeenth um, century, so like sixteen sixteen uh, oh something. I I can't remember right off the top of my head now. The earliest of the Marseille style deck, and that's all the decks before the Marseille. They sort of varied in the number, how the cards were you know, organized and the symbolism and things like that. If you use any modern deck, including the the Rider Waite Smith or any of its spin-offs, which are Legion, um, you're mm-hmm. you're essentially using a deck that was based on uh the Mar- the Marseille tarot. And to me it's where the tarot it was kind of amorphous and then it really solidified into the structure that we know today, you know, like the, mm-hmm. the magician, uh, the papess, who was the original um, high priestess. It wasn't a high priestess. It was the, the female pope um, all the way up to the world. Like the way, you know, except for weight um, changed it around a little bit because of the Golden Dawn and then Crowley monkeyed with. You know, uh, the star card should go here instead of there, things like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the Marseille decks, I find really evocative, um, really powerful. And there's something about uh, using decks that, you know, there's, there's so much history. You know, when I'm putting out those images, these are images from like hundreds of years ago. It just adds something to it. Um, I still teach the Rider Waite Smith deck because it's easy. It's well known, and mm-hmm. it, 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 people started. Plenty of readers use it all their lives. You can lives. get it anywhere. You can get it anywhere, yeah. But for me, and I'm writing a book on uh, some of the historical decks, which are much more available now than before. Mm-hmm. And I find those, uh, they have some real strengths that modern decks really don't have. So I'm I'm a real, you know, kind of curmudgeonly when it comes to, to the cards that I like to use. Um, I'm not a fan of, you know, oh, the Druid deck or the, right. you know, the Witch's deck. Terror of the Cat like that. <laughs> Right, there's even a gummy gummy tarot, you know, and, and that's cute. It, it, you know, it's fine if, if you like that sort of thing. Gummy the real tarot? Pat- there's a gummy tarot, yeah. You would not believe all the tarots out there. Um, but I'm a traditionalist, and um, I, like, I, li- I like the old decks. I find them endlessly fascinating. And I have a lot of them too. <laughs> My wife says, "Oh God, another pack." Let me guess, another deck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <another> deck. <laughs> so, is there anything about tarot that you consider yourself kind of an elitist snob about? Like, is there just something you just would not ever 
truck with or is it just kind of like whatever floats your boat whatever blows your hair back how, how are you about that sort of well i am kind of a snob um when it comes to the older decks and the history like i i really get angry when people say things that aren't true about tarot and lots of people still say that and uh I, i'm also uh i don't believe in dogmatic things like we were talking about like oh this card is venus or you know or, or this card is capricorn and things like that it's okay you know again it's okay if you if that's how you work and that's that's what right you like but but to say that's the way it is in you know which is contravened by what we know about history that rubs me the wrong way right um, i'm also kind of a stickler i don't like I call them fantasy sort of decks, like Lord of the Rings deck, or, or uh, you know, the Wiccan deck, or things like that. I mean, it's cool if if you're Wiccan and you use a Wiccan deck, that's great. Go for it. Um, or, or a Druid, and you use a Druid deck, things like that. But but I find a lot of like a lot of the esoteric stuff that's that's in those cards works against a good reading. Mm-hmm. Um, there's too much stuff. Like the the Marseille deck is really simple, and mm-hmm. line drawings and colors, and it's kind of a paradox. But I think you you can draw a lot more out of simpler images than if you have an image of you know let's say the Empress, and there's all kinds of astrological symbols all over it, and alchemical symbols and things. You know, the more esoteric cruft I call it. It's like it just. It just accrues on the cards, and so you're looking all over the card, you're like, oh, that's the Venus symbol, and wait, oh, that's alch- alchemical salt, and blah blah blah. Before you know it, you're lost. Mm-hmm. But if you mm-hmm. give me an Empress card from the Marseille Tarot, I can find all kinds of stuff in that that's not, you know, purposely embedded in there by the designer that has spe- the designer who has specific meaning I- intended for that card. Like the the less stuff that's stuck in there, the more that that someone can pull out intuitively. Right on. Rob has one he wants to share with everybody. He has a deck that he yeah. just found. I just found a Game of Thrones tarot deck. I'm really excited. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all like, cool. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's all just fan, it's all just still cool. images from the TV show. It's not that cool. Never mind. Uh, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's so the other thing. A lot of people like you know they think oh. Um, I'll say like something like a Twin Peaks deck. I think that's cool. Like I would like to have it as a collectible mm-hmm. item. I love that people can take a mythology and adapt it to this set of symbols. You know, the, this 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 series of of symbols and things. That's great. Um, so you know that I'm I'm okay with that. It's just I'm a, I can't use that to read. You know, for the most part, there might be exceptions. There's a deck called the Alchemical Tarot by a, a really fantastic artist named Robert Place, and that's the only modern deck that I use. Um, so, every you know, I have exceptions to my dogma and my snob as to. Mike, is there about your occult experiences? Mm-hmm. Are there any negative experiences that you have had? while practicing the occult and what um specific school would that be yeah i think um, you know where i'm going here yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) i think i 
probably told you this story. Um, I when when I was in my Golden Dawn phase, there's a you know Golden Dawn uh, magic includes Enochian magic, and uh, I know plenty of people who practice Enochian magic, and they're they're, they're just as fine and sane as anyone else. Um, but I was I wasn't even practicing it. I was just really reading up on it. I, I had immersed myself for a number of weeks in reading uh, the Enochian texts. I was reading Crowley's um, calls uh, to the Aethers and things like that. And really, one night um, I was reading it in bed. You know, other people I guess watch TV or read something. <laughs> I'm, I'm here. I am reading. <laughs> You know, Enochian calls in bed. And, uh, That's a good place to do it. Why yeah, not? Yeah, why not? Yeah. And, a little, little you know. light reading before before bedtime. <laughs> sure. sure. Uh, so I'm reading this, uh, and Enochian it's transliterated into kind of weird English. So it's like Enomwengat. You know, it's really sort of weird, barbarous. Uh, language sounds. And so I'm reading it in my head. I'm reading through the the calls to the Aethers, um, which is a, you know, essentially Enochian magic was kind of channeled or developed by John Dee, uh, Queen Elizabeth's astrologer. He was also a spy. I mean, incredibly fascinating guy, but he... So you know, what are these collected in? Sorry to interrupt, but what are, what are these, what are these actually collected in that you collect- can read them? I mean, yeah, you you can find uh, you can find all sorts of books on Enochian magic that have the actual texts as given to John D by angels that he was in communication with. Enochian and angels, right? Enochian, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but they were you know he they told him they were angels, and he had this giant um, sort of you know board with symbols on it, and Edward Kelly, who he was working with, Edward was like the scryer. Um, would would take a like a little pointer and point to these different um, symbols. And interestingly, this you know linguists have have looked at this alphabet, and it's a coherent alphabet. Yeah, you know, so it's not just like nonsense. It actually has you know it has the qualities of a the mathematical qualities of a language. So that, that's that's really interesting, and in that it's completely channeled, but it actually has elements that. You know, a linguist would would recognize as a, as a real language, and so so anyway, I'm, so I'm reading through the this these calls, these Enochian calls, and uh, I'm saying them in my head, and they're really they're really kind of powerful, you know, nonsensical language, but it really it it sounds very real and coherent. So I'm saying these in my head, and then I went to sleep, and hmm. uh, I. I I immediately started dreaming uh, a few minutes after I closed my eyes to go to sleep, which is a little unusual. And I was in a farmhouse and like an old farmhouse and uh, kind of no real, not a lot of furniture or anything. I just remember standing by the door and something, there was a knock on the door. And as soon as I went to open the door, I became lucid and I don't have a lot of lucid dreams. It's something I, I've tried to do, but it kind of eludes me. They just kind of happen when they happen. They're very rare. But I immediately realized I was dreaming, and I heard this growling sound from behind the door. And it Mm. was deep and mean and guttural and diabolical, you know? I mean, I I could run on 
with descriptions of, of this thing, but it scared the crap out of me. I knew it was bad. You know, I knew this thing was not a good thing, whatever was making this noise. So I'm thinking, I'm, I'm dreaming, but there's this thing trying to get through the door. So I'm trying to push the door shut because it was open just a little bit and it's trying to push its way in. And it was this, it was really weird because, um, you know, to know you're dreaming, but to be terrified and mm. knowing that it's kind of real in some way, even though you know it's a dream, and I'm struggling to push this thing, and I'm saying all these like words of protection that I've learned over the years and yelling at it, you know, in my dream to go away. And, you know, just, you know, every doing the sign of the cross and, I mean, everything I could pull out of of my toolkit for making bad things go away. And finally I got the door shut and I immediately woke up and I thought, you know what? (laughs) Maybe Enochian magic is not where I want, where I want to be Hmm. putting my energy. And and it may have had nothing to do with that, but on some level it really feels like it, it did. And uh, so I reached out to a guy who was a real mentor to me at the time, John Michael Greer, um, he's written all kinds of books on magic and golden dawn magic, really a brilliant guy. And, uh, I knew him through uh, May being a, a Freemason, um, and being a Rosicrucian. And, uh, I said, Hey man, what do you think about this? Man, you know, like, this- you're like everything. You're like all the orders. <laughs> uh, well, you know, not, not all, uh, but, but I have collected a few, but, but I reached out to him and I said, what do you think? I mean, was this, you know, should I be concerned about this? This real? And he he basically said, "Yeah, you know." He said, "I, even though I've been practicing Golden Dawn magic like for you know for thirty some years, he he and I've written about it." He said, "I left out the Enochian material out of my my book Circles of Power." He said, "Because I I I do think there's an element to it that can be more dangerous than." other forms of magic. So, so after he told me that, I said, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe I'll leave that for other people to, to deal with. So, you know, so I haven't regretted that. I mean, it's a, it's a big magical world out there. And I figured just for, you know, if something, if something like that happens, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm a pretty cautious guy. Um, I've done stupid things, but I I try to be kind of cautious. I said, eh, Let's let's leave the Enochian for other people. And again, lots of great people I know practice Enochian magic, and they're fine. You know, th- bad things aren't trying to break through the the farmhouse door to get them, or you know, or at least they don't say so. So, Mike, is it more? Is it that there are certain types of magic that are more negative than others, and more and others that are more positive? Are we dealing with? the way that people practice them. So if you don't practice it right, you could have a negative outcome or you practice it correctly. You could have a positive outcome. Is that, which one do you think is true? Yeah, I think there's an element of truth to both of those things. I mean, most magic, um, you know, has some sort of grounding, shielding protection, uh, that that's that's part of you know that's part of it from the the beginning you know the first thing you learn to do is just kind of shield yourself ground yourself um, and you know like 
you know, lots of traditions have sort of circle casting. And even if you go back to the ancient Greek um, papyri and things like that, you know, there's, there's, it seems that there are, um, and definitely in Solomonic magic, you know, you create a safe space before you do anything. I think that's, that's, that's kind of important. And that's why it's a part of many tradition, you know, most traditions really. Um, so I, you know, and, and magic, Magic can be dangerous, sure, um, but but so can lots of things that we do. You know, I mean, I think it's magic is far less dangerous for the most part than just getting in your car, you know, to pick up mm-hmm. a six pack or something like that. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the real danger. Um, but it, it it pays to be cautious, and it, it pays to uh, you know, and 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 like anything else, you have to. You have to use your intuition. You know, if you're if you're feeling something is not right, then back off a little bit. Uh, you know, maybe you're feeling that something's not right because a part of you that you're afraid of is kind of coming to the surface. So you you can't always go by your gut. But you know, if you're if you're doing something and if you really feel like uh, something negative has entered your space. Or, you know, first of all, if if really bad stuff keeps happening um, and you've been practicing magic, you might want to, you know, maybe take a break. Uh, you might want to try something else for a little while. So it's it's really very personal. Um, I don't think any any particular brand of magic is is really dangerous from from my experience. Um, but but it, you just have to. You you just have to exercise appropriate caution, like any hobby. You know, if you're if you're doing woodworking, you got to be careful how you use the saw. Right. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Rob somehow is is holding a copy of the Necronomicon. I don't know how that got in here, <laughs> but uh, oh. I'm learning a lot, Adam. Beware. <laughs> be extra nice to me from now on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's about to he's about to conjure up Tiamat and Marduk. But oh, uh, what uh, right. what do you think Good about the, what do you think about the Necronomicon, Mike? Uh, it's it's mostly hogwash, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, Lovecraft invented it. A bunch of magicians have tried to make something real out uh-huh. of it. Um, whether or not if you work some of the spells in it they might do something i'm not sure um but well, enough people yeah, be- enough people believe in it that i think that that's that would be all there is to it yeah you know i i i just think there are a lot more productive uh avenues to work with magic than something that's you know largely created uh, out of a piece of fiction from the 20th century, <laughs> you know. Not, not I mean, I, I, I don't mean to sound crass or flip right, about right. that. I, I gotcha. You know, because sure. everything's basically invented anyway. There's um, older traditions. Yeah. yeah. Sure, sure. Sure. But you know, if it's your thing, man, cool. You know. Did Peter Lavenda write it? Uh, you'll have to ask him that. <laughs> Maybe if I'm I not getting into the whole Simon controversy. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk to Peter, and I'll, I'll defer to him on that one. Well, Mike, in the time that we have left, let's talk about the Trump binding. Because oh, I'd love yeah. to get into the personal experiences, but I think that's going to have to be another show. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Trump binding, I mean, it is it is kind of timely. Um, yeah, that, that was... 
that's really the most surreal thing that's ever happened to me. Um, I, I basically was working with a couple of people from a, a couple of different sort of traditions, but kind of eclectic like me. Yeah, that's right. See, I've got a young listener, a young fan. <laughs> Already. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was, you know, the idea of doing something um, to as to kind of resist the politic the administration and what it was doing was brewing in a lot of people's minds. I mean, it's it's nothing new. Um, people have always, you know, uh, the 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 famous story is the magical battle of Britain and Dion Fortune um, back in the day when uh, you know she had her the servants of light. Um, uh, occultist group and they were doing magic essentially to keep the Nazis out of um, Britain. And hey, as far as we know, it worked because they never invaded. And uh, but that's there, there's some and there's also something called uh, the cone of power that uh, I think it was Gerald Gardner and a bunch of witches were raising power to also to try to keep the Nazis away. And so, so you know, this came out of a, a very, you know, pretty rich tradition. And over the years, there have been magical workings of various sorts for political ends. Um, so, you know, this discussion was happening, and we started putting a working document together. And eventually, when we thought it was pretty much together, I, I threw some tweaks on it. And we thought, well... You know, let's let's put this out there. And since I'm a person who talks about occultism, I'm a writer. I'm public about this. I don't hide it. I don't feel any need to hide it. Um, I became the person to to make it public. So I published it on Medium uh, website, and I thought maybe it was called a mass spell to bind Donald Trump and all those who abet him. Mm -hmm. And I thought, <laughs> well, you know, I'm like, eh. You know, maybe a hundred people will find this kind of interesting. You know, so I posted on Facebook, and and before I knew it, man, this thing had caught fire. I mean, unlike anything I've ever experienced. And within a day, it was in the tens of thousands of views. Currently, it's getting it's getting close to half a million views. It's that's the direction it's moving in right now, uh, and it's still is getting lots and lots of traction. But so, you know, this thing, this spell that I thought might just appeal to a few people, you know, might find it funny or interesting or might want to do it, it became an international viral sensation. <laughs> I and, love this so much, Mike. I just want to say. Oh, man. Well, oh, yeah. I, you know, I, and so instantly, though, because it's the media who's picking up on it, they read spell and they think witches. So it became, um, you know, not, and I didn't intend it to be this, but it became witches cursing Donald Trump. And the witch community just went, you know, jumped on it. And it's great. You know, I have lots of friends who are witches of various sorts, Wiccans, um, traditional witches, you know, kind of eclectic witches. And they, it just, it went through the stratosphere. And before you know, I I would I had constant phone calls from reporters, um, you know, people. I was on radio shows, and it just would not stop. You know, everybody wanted to talk about this. I had friends who were saying, "I friends in England." I was in the grocery store 
They, they, she told me. <laughs> and I heard two women talking about the spell to bind Donald Trump. And I got, I mean, the, the, the reporters were calling from all over the globe and it just kept building and building. And a couple of reporters started calling me like, we want to film people doing this ritual. And I said, well, I'm doing it with some people in Baltimore. And they said, well, is anybody or people doing it anywhere else? And I, I swear I just made this up. I said, oh yeah, they're, they're going to, I hear there are a lot of people that will be doing it outside of Trump tower in New York. Uh-huh. It's going to be huge. So that, well, who are they? I said, I don't know. You have to find them, you know, going the, there's like a Facebook group had developed and, you know, people are you know, posting their, you know, pictures of their setups for the ritual and things like that. And, um, so I said, yeah, it's going to be huge. It's going to be outside of Trump tower. Well, come February, the night of the, you know, the waning crescent moon where I, I had picked for it. Um, sure enough, a bunch of witches showed up outside of Trump tower along with a Christian woman with a mirror who was like, I'm sending it back to you, you know, and there's a big battle between them. Oh and- yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was my favorite part was the lady. With I, the wish, mirror. I wish I could have seen that. <laughs> yeah. And you know, this, and people were asking me like, is this real or is this a joke? And I'm like, well, there are funny elements to it. You know, like I, like I, I put in, I was responsible for the element of using a stubby orange candle, you know, um, because it, obviously Trump's stubby <laughs> orange things. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, so there were elements of humor in it, but, but, but magic has humorous elements to it, you know? So I'm like, yeah, it is kind of funny. And there is an element of like what the yippies did, you know, they exercised the Pentagon and tried to levitate the Pentagon. And I'm like, there is an element of that. You know, there's an element of a stunt to this. But at the same time, there's an element of seriousness to it. You know, I, this was created by occultists to do what it's supposed to do, which is kind of to bind him. And I had to explain to so many people what a binding spell was, which is right. not a curse. We're not trying to make his, his hair catch on fire and, you know, his, yeah, yeah. his limbs rot off. You know, this is just to restrain what we saw was were negative things that that we felt this administration was doing to hold to the back environment, yeah. civil liberties. Yeah, so it's like putting them in a timeout, you know. So I had to explain what a binding was and why it wasn't exactly a curse. Now the weird, so so, you know, it it just blew up. It was all I all I was doing was talking on the phone to reporters. Fox and Friends invited me to be on, which I turned down because I wow. thought yeah, I don't want to do that to myself. Oh, you so know? you went on TV a lot with this. No, not TV. Um, but the Fox and Friends, they were gonna they were gonna bring me up to New York, uh. and I was gonna be on the Fox and Friends show. And I talked to a friend who's a uh, you know an agent for a lot of you know public people and things. She said, "Don't do it, man." You know, she goes, "You don't you don't want to subject yourself to that. They're gonna try to make you look like an idiot. It's not serious." And right. she's like, "How many of your friends watch that show anyway?" I'm like, "Well, none." Okay, well that settles it. But so. And I expected, so it was huge. I mean, it was, it consumed my life. And, uh, you know, I eventually did the ritual. We filmed it. We streamed it live on Facebook. It had tens of thousands of people watching it live. I mean, it was an incredible experience. And and I think it was a powerful ritual for a lot of people. Um, And I expected backlash from, like, the evangelical community, um, you know, Christian conservatives and things like that. I expected that. I mean... 
elements of the spell were designed to provoke them. You know, I mean, that was the point was to rile them up. Um, as Mark, you know, are you contributing to the whole satanic panic uh, <laughs> feedback loop? No, you know what? They're panicked enough about Satan. You know, I, they, I, you know, for me, it was more of a, a, a political. You know, it was a political statement and a political um, spell, really. Um, but to them, it's spiritual warfare, and that's fine. You know, they they put a prayer shield around President Trump and things like that. But what it didn't expect was the flack from occultists and witch some witches. Um, you know, I had this. There's a Golden Dawn group, a guy named um, David Griffin, who like is a absolute. Everyone in the magical community knows he's a lunatic, and I would tell that <laughs> tell tell that. To, to his face if he's listening, David, you're a lunatic. Um, but he, oh, call it out on conspiratorial. Uh, sure, but but he's he's out. You know, anyone who <laughs> who follows the Golden Dawn tries to set up a Golden Dawn group. He tries to sue them. Uh, you know, he tries right. to sue anyone calling themselves Rosicrucians as if he owns this stuff. Um, so he's known to be a litigious a hole. Um, well, he he came out. You know, he's like. He's he called me a black magician. He made a wanted poster with my face on it. He pulled my face off my website. I mean, a really nice wanted poster. It said "Wanted Black Magician." <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Like, Wait a minute. Um, I identify as Caucasian, right? Like I'm pretty. Yeah, is it like white. Black Dracula? <laughs> <laughs> Blackula, Blackula. Yeah. So he, you know, and, and he was, you know, he was. He was messaging me like, you know, you regret this, you foul magician. President Trump is is a holy man, you know, and all this. Stuff. Like, well, if you believe that, man, good for you. But uh, hey, he but, has but something in common with like Jerry Falwell Jr. and Jim Baker and all those guys. Yeah. You think right. about it. Yeah, I mean, he was he, he was more deranged than a lot of the Christians were. It was telling me I was going to like burn in hell and you know demons or rip my soul to pieces and all this kind of stuff and. You know, so that was that was crazy, and then a lot of witches were saying, "Look, this is this is terrible. It's wrong. It's when you send out negativity, the threefold law comes into effect. That means anything you put out that's negative comes back three times to get you." So I had to explain. Well, first of all, um, I'm not a witch, so the threefold law does not apply to me. Um, I don't believe in it necessarily you know i kind of believe in you know if you do bad things bad things will happen to you but then i to explain this is a binding not a curse blah 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 but i also said you know the threefold law was invented by gerald gardner in a novel he wrote in 1945 so if you think the threefold law you know goes back to you know your dianic moon priestesses of antiquity who didn't exist anyway um then you know maybe you should you know I mean, it's okay. Like, I'm very cool with, I have a lot of friends who are Wiccans, a lot of people, especially since the spell got so big, I've I've gotten to know a lot more Wiccans than I even knew before. And I respect their religious beliefs. I respect the threefold law. Um, but the, to those who think it's some ancient truism, you know, of witchcraft, it's not. You know, Gerald invented it like he invented the rest of traditional you know, Gardnerian witchcraft. He liked, he liked, you know, sexy naked women to hit him with a whip. So that's why, you know, witches are sky clad. And part of the, you know, the ritual is being hit with a, a whip, you know, I mean, 
because he liked that kind of thing. He's a British. I mean, don't we all really? <laughs> yeah. Sounds so, like a good time. That's like a Friday night. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, that, that's, that's what drew a lot of people to witchcraft. Honestly, you know, I mean, not a lot of, but some people is the fact that you could, you know, dance around naked out in the woods and that's great, you know? Um, but, but that, you know, the fact that, you know, suddenly all these witches are, are on me, um, you know, and they're cursing me and the Christians are, you know, they're cursing me in their own Christian way and stuff like that. I'm like, wow, man. I mean, this, I, I just, I mean, there were times where I just sat down, you know, in between talking to people on the phone and I'm like, what is going, what the <laughs> hell is that? What have I done, you know, by, by releasing this thing, but. But the real beauty of it, I'll kind of finish talking about this thing, but the real beauty of it is the spell, when we were putting the spell together, we we designed it as a way of to make people feel better. You know, so many of us were beaten down by the day-to-day onslaught of what we were seeing on the news. And I mean, your entire, my, you know, I mean, your entire Facebook feed has got that guy's orange face and, um, <laughs> and, you know, Twitter and, and T, you know, TV. And we, so many of us that, you know, that are on, you know, our side of the political spectrum, we just felt like beaten down by the onslaught the stuff that kept happening and his his image and his face and his presence that the spell was kind of created as a way for people to kind of like to go guess what you don't have power over me anymore like i have power over you and it worked that's the way i mean people can argue whether or not it actually that the collective you know focus of energy in that spell actually bound him in his administration i think there's some good you know, some good arguments can be made that it did work, although you can't really quantify magic, really, most of the time. It's not a controlled experiment, you know, so you have to look at it look at it broadly. But the one way it did work and the way it was designed to work was to give people their power back. And, and so many people said, you know what, I felt so good after it happened. Mm-hmm. And the fact, the fact that we're doing it every month on the waning crescent moon it gives people something to look forward to. You know, it really, and it made me feel a lot better. You know, I did it with a, did a group ritual and I don't do a lot of group rituals, but man, a group ritual is powerful, you know, in a way that doing a ritual by yourself is always going to be very different. But man, that focused energy of a group ritual is really a powerful thing. And so I think it really, in that respect, it most definitely worked. It got people, and it also got people doing magic, and I think that's fantastic. So many people said, "Well, God, I've I've done everything else. I've marched. I've written letters. I called my Congress people. What the hell? You know." So many people were saying, "What the hell? I'm going to give this a try." And what what makes me happy and kind of humbles me about this experience is knowing that so many people got their first taste of what what a ritual can do, like how that can change your consciousness how you can feel your personal energy and channel it through, you know, ritualistic operations and behavior. And, you know, so many people like, why are there four elements? You know, why is there earth and water and fire and air, you know? And it really made people think about magic and it got a lot of people doing magic. And that humbled me, you know, that still humbles me to think that, that, I, I may have opened a lot of people to their own power, 
Wow. Wow, that's that is impressive. So in, in that in that sense you believe that it worked. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, in the sense that it got people feeling better, it definitely worked. In the sense that it got magic and the idea of magic into the public consciousness and as a form of of sort of resistance, you know, the idea that there's you know, you know, there's people talking about the resistance but that there's a the concept of a magic resistance that there are ways of um exercising our um our beliefs and our energy in a spiritual way and not just with the usual stuff that we do i think it definitely worked and that's you know the those of us who put this together and the other people are don't want to be you know mentioned because they're professionals but they're but they happen to like magic too but you know this was it came together and that was the idea you know i mean that was the original idea let's but of course we had no idea how big it would get and how successful it would be so i think it's absolutely successful on a lot of levels whether or not um you know it's going to drive him out of office which is kind of the goal um we'll just have to see yeah yeah, that's true. If, and if that happens, then you're going to need to come up with a new binding spell for Pence. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the other thing. We'll say, well, then we have Pence, you know. But honestly, if, let's say, you know, like I watched the Sally Yates hearing today. And, you know, in a nutshell, um, she says, and now we know Obama says that that they told the Trump administration that um, Mike Flynn um, had was dirty essentially that he um, that he could be compromised by Russia because he had lied about his talks with mm-hmm. Russians. Okay, mm-hmm. so um, let's say that does pan out, and let's say you know even let's say Trump is impeached or whatever. Okay, and then there's Pence. the The thing is, like, if if it was shown that the president was doing you know treasonous sort of things, illegal things was lying about really important issues that's going to tar the whole all of his people you know that's part of the spell those who abet him are included in this in the binding spell uh-huh. so you know this even if let's say trump went, let's say pence went down let's say even just some lower level let's say kushner went to jail or something like that that's going to have a ripple effect through the whole administration so I'm not that concerned, you know, it, it, you know, it's, if, if something that I suspect and a lot of people suspect actually happened, um, in, in this administration secretively, uh, you know, it's going to ripple, it's going to have a ripple effect and the whole lot of them are going to be tarnished. So I'm not so worried about, you know, the chain of, uh, you know, the chain of succession, um, all the way down to the Secretary of Agriculture, you know, or wherever it goes. I mean, the idea is just to, you know, to shine a light on things we think are very dangerous to our democracy and to our country. And if one goes down, that's going to that's gonna be a chain reaction through the rest. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not worried about the spell, having to, you know, adjust the spell for each of these guys if, if one falls after another. I think it's pretty inclusive uh, of, the, of the whole lot of them. Well, Mike, uh, we're just about out of time, but uh, tell people where they can get your fiction books and contact you. Yeah, well, thank you for mentioning that because um, I have a trilogy called the Blackwater Lights Trilogy, 
Um, and the third book is hitting on May 23rd. So, uh, like the stuff that this show talks about and, and talks about so well, um, if you like that when it's kind of in a fiction, um, you know, if it's wrapped up in a, a cool, hopefully, you know, exciting, scary kind of story, um, I think you might like this this particular trilogy. It's called the Blackwater Lights Trilogy. It covers UFOs, mind control, occult, um, lights in the sky, nice. uh, dark entities, et cetera, et cetera. So, I, you know, I think probably your listeners will like this kind of thing. So it's the, the, and the, so the first book is Blackwater Lights. Second book is Witch Lights. And the third is Demon Lights. And that comes out on the 23rd. You could find all that. You could just Google those books. They'll come up. Um, they're published by Random House's digital imprints. So they're, they're digital books. Um, so you have to read it, you know, in your Kindle or your iPad or phone or whatever or computer. Um, yeah, unless you, unless you read German, there's a German paper <laughs> version <laughs> of the first book, but and you can also go to michaelmhughes.com, sign up for my mailing list where I talk about tarot magic, all the stuff we talked about tonight. Excellent. Excellent. Heather, was there anything that you wanted to say before we let Mike go? Nah. Oh, I thought you said me. Okay. Oh, um, <laughs> I said it not. <laughs> no, I think I asked all the questions I had and gosh, it was just really refreshing to hear a different voice in Tara who, who's just kind of, um, a little bit more, egalitarian, I guess, a little bit more comfortable with uh, different traditions and things and a little less stuffy. I don't know. It was really nice. It was really great. Excellent. I, I love, you know, I love talking about the history of tarot. And I think it's it's really critical. Anyone who, who wants to pick up any kind of practice is, is to understand the history because it really, it'll help you from, you know, going down all sorts of, you know, dead end streets. So, but thank you. I, I'm happy I could help out there. Well, thank you, Mike. Stay on the line for us. We are going to close this section out, and we'll be right back briefly to close the show on Conspiracy Normal. Adam, who are we going to have on next week? Uh, Nick Redford. Really? Actually, really, really truly, For real? this time, Nick Redford is coming on. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to clear that up. <laughs> the last two shows, Heather, I've, which I think as of this point have not been released, but the last two shows, I've said that Nick Redford was coming on and completely like blanked that Mike was going to be the guest. <laughs> so... I'm really just I'm really just a horrible <laughs> podcast host. <laughs> Wait, the it's, it's the time traveling. We get confused. Yes, absolutely. Well, Heather, what did you think about that? Oh man, that was that was great. I mean, um, I think I mentioned this in the episode where I was talking about tarot and my own journey with it. Like I I have tried to understand kind of the the origins of tarot. It's so great to hear another person talk about it 
um, and not just try to shroud it in some sort of crazy fake mysticism. Um, but yeah, he, he was very refreshing. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. Mike's uh, we're going to definitely have him on again and talk about his like personal experiences as well. So Rob, did you enjoy that one? Oh yeah, absolutely. That was great. And there's the bean. Uh, Heather, you did want to mention a couple of things before we, before we close the show. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to mention real fast. Um, if anybody is interested in, in, uh, me doing a tarot reading for them, uh, you're more than welcome to check me out at ask shuffle cut slash tarot. And we can come up with a, um, with a, a specialized tarot reading pertaining to whatever question you've got, or we can just talk about tarot. If you just had questions about it, I'm more than happy to field some questions about it. Uh, and that's what I do. Excellent. Excellent. Well, guys, thank you so much. And next time we have Nick Redfern coming on to talk about secret societies. I know I've said that like 20,000 times, (laughs) but uh, it's going to happen. Damn it. This time. All right, guys. (laughs) Thanks so much. And we will be back on Conspiranormal. Yeah. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. 